Hi everybody, I'm Cindy Mooring, the Founder and Executive Chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real-world experience as a senior executive, so if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's actually been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I have the distinct pleasure of having with me today, Ed Freeman. Hi, Ed. How are you? Hi, Cindy. Good to see you. Ed is the University Professor and Olson Professor of Business Administration and an Academic Director of the Institute for Business and Society at the University of Virginia at the Darden School of Business. And prior to going to Darden, um, Ed also taught at the University of Minnesota and also at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Ed may be well known to uh, uh, many of you, but Ed is the co-author of a new book that just came out called The Power of And, Responsible Business Without Trade-Offs. That just came out in June of 2020. He has also uh, just put out a new documentary that's available on iTunes called Fishing with Dynamite. So I would encourage you to explore that as well. We'll put the information in the show notes at the end. Ed has written a number of other books as well. Uh, he has also the author and editor of over 30 volumes and 150 articles in the area of stakeholder management, business strategy, and business ethics. Ed's best known for an award-winning book called Strategic Management, a Stakeholder Approach. That one was originally published in 1984. It has been widely cited since then. And it's a book where Ed traces the origins of the stakeholder idea to a number of others and suggests that's, that businesses build their strategy around their relationships with key stakeholders and not just the shareholders. We're actually going to get into that a bit more in the podcast. But first, let me just say thank you so, so much, Ed, for being here today. We are super excited to have you share with us your thoughts uh, on the topic of business ethics and really what the future holds uh, for the entire area, as well as for the education of business ethics. And I am excited for the audience to get to hear from you on that. I'm a real, I'm a real fan of the Walton School. Uh, I spent a little time there. Uh, a few years ago as the ethics pro program was uh, getting getting started. Um, so it's great. It's great to uh, maybe virtually get to know some of your students. Yeah, well, thank you for that help a couple of years ago. And I know some of our professors are big fans of yours um, as well. Dan Worrell and Jennifer Kish Gephardt. And those are probably the folks that you had the opportunity to meet yep. with. They're That's fantastic. Right. Yeah. And they're on my um, academic advisory board. So I feel real fortunate to be able to get to work with all of you. Share with us, Ed, what do you think are some of the main advancements that have occurred in the field of business ethics and government and risk management that you've seen in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years? Well, I, I could say that uh, when, I, when I wrote my uh, stakeholder book and uh, it was published in 84, I think I can safely say no one cared. Uh, I don't think many people, well, I know not many people read it. Um, for all the citations it has now, there were only 2,000 copies printed, and we gave most of those away. So it, 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 when the number of citations outstrips the number of copies, 
you're pretty sure people haven't read uh, what, what you've done. And, and not many people seem to care uh, very much uh, about it. Uh, that's a far cry from today. Um, I get an email this morning uh, from uh, Just Capital uh, uh, talking about uh, the business roundtable statement, uh, what the 181 companies have done, what they've done, especially with respect to uh, the COVID uh, and Black Lives Matter cry crises, how they performed uh, and what, what people expect. Uh, those things just simply wouldn't have existed. Uh, back in the day, you said you taught business ethics. You got a lot more laughter and snickering uh, than you would today. Whereas I think today, every business school knows it has to do something with ethics. A lot of them don't know what yet, but uh, that's, uh, and every business knows. You know, business, business, business people know that you can't separate the business part from the ethics business people that are successful all yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the acceptance that, yeah, of course we got to work this out um, is much, much greater uh, than it was much earlier, uh, at least in, in, uh, in, in, in my opinion. So what do you think the tipping point was? You mentioned in 84, you know, nobody was interested. People would, would laugh. What was the tipping point? Because I, it is so different today, and I agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say. Um, in in this new book, we try to argue that there's that that the global financial crisis in two thousand eight two thousand nine created sort of a perfect storm, which things have been adding to. I mean, we haven't really figured out um, how to deal with the inequality that both caused and was a result of the global financial crisis. Uh, and people have been questioning, uh, given that inequality has increased so much uh, between the top and the bottom in society since roughly the late 1970s. Uh, and you can show that the curves just uh, uh, really depart rather than move together. Um, we haven't really figured that out, and, and the calls for reform of capitalism uh, have become uh, more, uh, have become louder and louder. So I think today, if if you look at the results of the of the financial crisis in again, it's ten years ago, right? Um, and COVID, uh, and the racial inequality uh, movement. Um, and global warming, you you have a kind of perfect storm that says business. If if we're going to solve these these crises, which threaten the very foundations of our society, uh -huh. business has to be involved in that. Uh -huh. uh, and the way business has to be involved in it is not just giving money to charity, but they have to look at their business models, say what's our purpose. Who are our stakeholders? How are we creating value for our stakeholders? Uh -huh. And can we create value that makes society better off, that also makes our customers and suppliers and employees and our shareholders better off? Right. Uh, that's hard to do, but I think those are the right questions to ask today. 
Yeah, I think you're right about that. So, so let's jump to that business roundtable statement because we're interestingly we're at the one year anniversary of it right now. Right. It was it was one year ago, almost to this day, that it that it came out. Um, you must be happy to have seen that because it aligns um, so well with your stakeholder theory and in what you were saying back in 80, 84. What were, what were your thoughts when you saw it come out and did you have any role in influencing it? I, I, look, we had a, a, for 10 years, we had the Business Roundtable Institute for Corporate Ethics at Darden uh, that had sort of withered away for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so I had worked with the round, round table fairly closely in the past, but I really had nothing to do with this statement. So I was uh, surprised, uh, very surprised, uh, very happily surprised. I think my fist was pumping in the air. Uh, so I was very happy that they came around uh, yeah. to it. I didn't need to have a, have a, a, a personal part in it. Um, if you look at that, if you look at the, um, Davos uh, statement. If you look at other things like that, uh, the um, Larry Fink letter to the to the uh, CEOs he invests in and Black BlackRock. If you look at the emergence of principles for responsible investment, uh, which are some principles that essentially uh, reaffirm the stakeholder view, or at least the ESG variation right. of that. Right. Uh, environment, society, and governance. Yeah. Um, you know, and you look at the the folks who are doing conscious capitalism or um, inclusive capitalism or impact investing, et cetera. What you have is a groundswell uh, that says, hey, there's a better way to do business. Right. In other words, there's, there's a new narrative. This new narrative uh, says in part, yeah, it's, it, you've got to pay attention to stakeholders mm -hmm. as well as shareholders. Look, businesses have to make money. Right. Profits sure. are important. Right. It's just not the only thing. And it's, it's the equivalent, the, the, the shareholder primacy view, the Milton Friedman prop, profits are the only thing that matter, would, would be like saying, you know, hey, I need red blood cells to live. So the purpose of life is to make red blood cells. Right. And, and that's, just, that's just a logic mistake. Yeah. But the left often demonizes profits, and that's an equal that's an equal mistake. Right. Um, you know, people have to get paid. Sure. Uh, and uh, so, so in the power of and, what we do is we say, look, uh, it's about stakeholders and shareholders. It's about purpose and profits. And by the way, one of my favorite high-purpose companies, and for the most part, high profit companies in its history is Walmart. Right. Walmart's always been a high purpose kind of company. I, I grew up poor uh, and Walmart, uh, at least Sam Walton's Walmart, um, helped my parents be able to afford things that, uh, that, that they could. Uh, so, you know, it's purpose and profits, it's stakeholders and shareholders, it's business set in society and in markets. It's seeing people as fully human as well as economic beings uh, and it's business and ethics. And the, the and says, we gotta, we gotta put those things together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I, I think the tipping point, there's no going back to 
only shareholders count. If you take care of all of the stakeholders, you are looking out for the long-term view of the shareholders and for the company to uh, be able to be um, sustainable for well, I, the long-term. Yeah, well, I, I, as I've gotten older, um, I've become increasingly distrustful of the long-term. You know, you, what do you want to do in 10 years? My answer is be breathing. Uh, you know, so... Uh, I like to think that yes, you're right, but it's also the the um, you do better in the short term. Look, you can always take shortcuts, right? But but if you see the purpose of a business, help people live better. Yeah, right. Then you got to figure out how to do that today. Yeah, you can't say, well, in the in the long term that'll work itself out. Well, yeah, here's how you have a great long term: have a great short term and keep it up. Yeah. What, what most people do, and I've heard for 40 years, well, this ethics stuff counts, but not in the short term, in the long term. Well, we move here, the long term keeps mo moving. And so the short term, long term distinction is oftentimes an excuse for not doing the stuff you need to do now. Now, yeah, you're after right. The, after the uh, global financial crisis, but my finance fa faculty friend said, well, of course, look, I mean, nobody said maximize shareholder value in the short term. We meant maximize shareholder value in the long term. And I said, well, look, I'm not really a philosophical positivist, but you guys are. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only observable uh, way you observe shareholder values in the short term, mm -hmm. you know, the other way to say it is life exists in the now. It exists in the short term. And if you can't figure out how to do it in the short term, there's no reason to believe the long term is going to magically take care of itself. Yeah. So, I, A, I think you're right, but I want to make a stronger claim that you have to figure out uh, how to put these things together in the short term. And that requires not only business sense, but it requires creative imagination. Yeah, it does. Um, to build for the long term now uh, and do it in the short term. It's, such, it's all building blocks, building up to the end. That's a great reframing and a great way to think about that. That's, that's, that's really powerful. So it feels to me that we have uh, sort of arrived at this new place. As, as you said, it's hard to pinpoint maybe exactly what the tipping point was, but there's no going back and we've arrived at this new point in terms of thinking about what the purpose of a corporation is. Do you think uh, in some ways, Ed, that the, uh, the European view of ESG and sustainability and CSR was ahead of uh, the U.S. and in any way kind of helped set the stage for where we are now? Uh, they mostly saw the stakeholder idea as a way to understand civil society. Uh. Uh, and the civil society, the, the issue has to be, it's got to be about the business model, not about CSR. Mm -hmm. And so this has to be integrated into the business model. And the strategy. You know, I, and, and the strategy. Look, I, I think people talk about, you know, what's the business case? Uh -huh. And I say, look, the business case depends on what you stand for, what your purpose is, 
who your stakeholders are right. and how you're trying to create value for them. Right. That's the business case. Yeah. It's not just about, is it going to make money or not? Mm-hmm. That's not really very interesting. So putting these things together is hard. Right. I think there's less an American model and a European model. And it really varies by company. For instance, yeah. Novo Nordisk has been in Denmark, has been doing this for a long time. Danone in France. Uh, I, I always put uh, Walmart uh, as one of the top American com- companies that was stakeholder oriented. Uh, so I, I think it depends less on the country, uh, though some laws, uh, you know, make it easier. Um, some country laws make it e- easier. Uh, but even in the U.S., there's there's nothing in any of the state uh, chartering laws that says you can't figure out how to create value for all your stakeholders. Uh-huh. The idea that shareholders own companies is just a myth. And having said that, I'm a big proponent of making as much money as you can for shareholders. I mean, that might sound contradictory, but how are you going to do it? You're going to have great products. Right. You're going to have suppliers who want to make you better. You're going to have employees who uh, show up every day with more than just to get a check. You're going to have be a good citizen in the community. So communities don't think you ruin Main Street. Uh, and if you if you do those things and you get lucky, you might make money. Right. So yeah. I, I don't see the I, I don't see the big. I've always thought the stakeholder idea was the simplest idea in the world. It was just about how business works. Mm-hmm. And I think it's being recognized more that, yeah, this is how business works and how it works well. So what do you think about the idea of the B Corp or the Benefits Corp? Where does that fit into your, your thoughts? Yeah, about um, even though I, I think you don't, you know, have to do this. It's a way of formally saying, hey, purpose is important. It's it's purpose and prop profits. I mean, they explicitly sort of say that. The, the problem can be the same with the uh, prop, prop problem with nonprofits. People who work in the nonprofit world have high pur- purpose, and they think they don't have to pay much attention to things like budgets and funding and that sort of stuff. Um, and people in the for-profit world, in the old story, think it's just about budgets and profits and, and, and the money. In both cases, it's about both. In the non-profit world, again, everybody's got to get paid. You have to have at least enough money to figure out how, what, what you're going to invest in in the future. Right. What what B Corps do is it's purpose and profits. Now, I didn't think we needed them for a long time. Uh, and then a company I know reasonably well, Whole Foods, uh, got attacked in the capital markets. And uh, Whole Foods ended up selling to Amazon. I think the, the capital mar- markets, in this case, the... Uh, private equity firm or the hedge fund that was attacking them uh, simply discounted all of the uh, stakeholder oriented things that Whole Foods does that's central to their business model. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Um, and they, they can't exist without those things. It's one of the sources of profits. Um, and so if they've been a B Corp, no problem because they weren't and uh, no one held a sort of majority of the shares, uh, then they ended up, you know, having to find a white knight. Right. So I think the way we regulate capital markets uh, might need to change. I mean, maybe we need something like a rule. Um, you know, you have to, you, you know, you have to hold the shares for a certain amount of time before you can vote. Yes. Um, you know, I think B Corps can be a, a good thing as long as they don't uh, take people's minds off. Look, if you're serious about a purpose, every penny is important. Right. Because every penny is important because it lets you pursue that purpose. So now that we've arrived at this, let's say, new place, uh, this, this stakeholder view, what do you think the future is going to look like? Well, we have some serious problems we have to deal with. Um, some of these problems are multi-institutional. <clears throat> um, we have to figure out what's a better connection between business and government. Some of the most value ever created or facilitated by government was the Surgeon General's report on smoking and health. Um, it created an enormous amount of value. Uh, people live longer lives, they work longer, uh, they live more, more fruitful lives. The companies themselves, the tobacco companies, whatever you think about them, uh, managed to survive and, and go along and innovate. And, mm. You know, civil rights legislation creates an enormous amount of value. It opens up a whole host of people who've been shut out, uh, et cetera. Right. I think government needs to take this facilitating value creation seriously and, and, and help create what I would call a nation of entrepreneurs. Yeah. What we need is many, many more people starting uh, and trying to build businesses. And I say this especially with uh, people who have been shut out of the system. Yeah. Uh, I work with a, uh, a man named Jeff Cherry, who's the CEO of something called Conscious Venture Network or Conscious Venture Labs. And uh, uh, we work with uh, people in, in this case from West Baltimore uh, uh, to try to start companies that you know might be the next Whole Foods, uh, uh -huh. et, cetera, et cetera. These were, for the most part, entrepreneurs who uh, you know uh, grew up in tough circumstances, who who were shut out of uh, uh, a lot of ways to try. We need to become a nation of entrepreneurs. Business can't do that alone. Ethics and business ethics is a is a classic example of this, Cindy. If I if I say uh, to any group, look, uh, we have a real ethics issue in this business. Not a single person thinks, oh, somebody must have invented something that will make our lives better. Right. But, but bringing good into the world is 
just as important as preventing bad things. Right. And we don't often think about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, speaking about entrepreneurship and, and building a nation of entrepreneurs, you are certainly speaking to the heart of Walton College. We have a very strong focus on entrepreneurship uh, and, and filling that out. In fact, there's a whole new department um, called SEVI now that's focused on um, entrepreneurship and, and venture innovation. So that's exciting to see. So, Ed, right. this has been a great conversation. Let me ask you a couple more questions, bringing it back to the uh, education point of view and universities. What do you think uh, that universities should be doing differently to better prepare our students to become the future business leaders um, of, the, of the world? <clears throat> Well, uh, I mean, I think we, we have to broaden uh, the set of disciplines that's relevant for business leaders. I've taught at my college and I have taught really uh, sort of a humanities part of the MBA. Uh, we do courses in literature, uh, in theater, uh, I've done one in music, uh, and all of these help to build the creative imagination. Uh, we're good at teaching pe people, uh, you know, what the what the language of business is and 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 how to conduct yourself and those kinds of things. We're lousy at teaching the more critical perspective, and we're even lousier at teaching the more creative pers perspective. I mean, our our take here is if you see something you don't like. To, to critique it, you critique it by creating something better. Right. Um, and I, I think also this, this means a change in the way we teach. Look, I love to teach case studies. They're great. I love even more to teach Socratically. That is trying to make the student the center of the, of, of the classroom uh, and start where they are. Uh, we, we tend to like to teach uh, jointly. So we'll teach together with people in finance and strategy and uh, quantitative analysis and th those kinds of things. Right. Because it's not just the, it's not just about ethics. It's about trying to understand what this new narrative is throughout the disciplines of business. Right. Right. So if you, those were great points. So if you had to maybe sum it up in three words or three phrases about the most important aspect <clears throat> of preparing our students going forward, what would, what would they be? Well, I, you know, I, I would probably say we need to teach them purpose and profits, stakeholders and shareholders, and people are human beings as well as economic a agents. The other two things are important, but if we get those three things right, um, I think we'll, we'll go a long way towards creating a generation of business leaders that are gonna make business better. And that, that's, that's where the bar ought to be. We ought to say to our students, your job isn't just to learn how to run a profitable business. Your job is to figure out how to run a profitable business, sure, uh, that uh, does something that makes the world better. Mm -hmm. And if we have thousands of people doing that, uh, 
you know, they, they won't all work, but society will flourish in my view. Yeah. And from your earlier comments, it sounds like if we can at universities do that creatively and do that in an integrative way with experiential learning, then that will really be how those um, ideas come to life for them. People, you know, need to find their voice and there are lots of ways to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been fabulous. Let me end on uh, uh, a fun question or two for you. Do you have okay, any, sure. yeah, do you have any good uh, recommendations of either fun books or movies or series or, or podcasts that you have um, enjoyed watching while we've all been inside during COVID that you'd recommend? TV. TV is in a golden age now. I mean, it's just so good. I've been wa watching on Netflix uh, Money Heist, mm. which uh, I think there are four seasons. Okay. Uh, it's Spanish, uh, but it's dubbed, but it's dubbed with real voice actors. It's not, I mean, you can't really tell it's dubbed. Oh, that's uh, cool. And it's, uh, it's really terrific. A large group of people get together and, uh, and uh, take over the mint in Madrid. And they're actually printing, they're trying to print $2.4 billion. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, 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 really, it's really terrific because all the characters, you know, even the bad guys have redeeming features. And so it's a very human yeah. uh, story. Well, Ed, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being a guest with us today. This has been a illuminating conversation, and I just thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us, and you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.